Father, this morning, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We magnify you. We glorify you. We want it all to be about you, Lord. About you. That truly Christ Jesus would receive preeminence in everything. For there is only one name under the heavens. That's the name of Jesus. And you have given him a name above all names. Everything that you have for us is in Christ. There is nothing for us outside Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Even this morning, help us to see that outside of Christ, there is no purpose, there is no provision, there is no plan, there is nothing for your children. Help us to see that, Lord, in Christ, in Christ alone. Nothing to be added, nothing to be subtracted. As we look into your word, we pray, faith will continue to arise in us. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. We're looking from Joshua, and but we go to Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there are two words there which are important there in the kingdom of God. And for us as God's children, one is the word faith and the other is the word hope. When the book of Joshua begins, the first nine verses, God is speaking. God is speaking. The first nine verses, God is speaking. Whenever God speaks, or man speaks, these are the two people that actually speak to us. The enemy is also there, but when God speaks or man speaks, two things happen. Either hope is birthed, or hope is lost. Hope is birthed or hope is lost. That's why we have to be careful about what we say. So what comes first is not faith. What comes first is hope. There's an order in which things happen. Because what comes first is hope and not faith. Because you cannot have faith without hope. Because faith is directly connected with the hope that is generated. Generated. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you have to hope for something. You hope for something. And uh, where there is no hope, okay, what happens? The spirit dries off. Okay, spirit dries off. So, the, so when it comes to God's children, the first thing, question is not what you are believing for. The question is, what are you hoping for? 
because you cannot hope for what is not given by God. It's given by God. So, in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and then 4, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. So for them, it is primarily Moses, because they have heard, including Joshua, has heard through Moses. But remember, the first time this promise is given, it is not to Moses, it is to Abraham. 500 years, almost 450 years are over, but that same promise is standing. And now it has been given through Moses for 40 years. They heard it over and over again. And then the second generation heard it again. As we see that in Deuteronomy, when God speaks through Moses, and now he is saying them. So, first thing God is telling them in verse 2 and 3 is, what is given? What is given? Okay, that's where hope is birthed. Okay, because they have this hope, everything, even when Joseph dies, he makes it very clear. Don't bury me, embalm my body, keep it over there, because one day God will send a savior, you'll get out of this land, take my bones. So you need to realize they all died in hope. They lived by faith, but they died in hope, because what they hoped for was never fulfilled in anybody's lifetime. God is waiting for a day. Hebrews 11 ends up with that. God is waiting for a day. What is the final hope? The salvation of our soul and the salvation actually of our body. Souls which have died, their salvation work of their soul is over. But they are still waiting for the end of their ultimate salvation of receiving the new body. And that God cannot give anybody the new body until the work is over. That's why they are waiting. Why? Because the new body itself is the reward. Self is the reward because as stars differ in glory, so will the bodies. Not the nature of the body, but the glory of the body is the reward. The nature of the body of everyone will be the same. It will be the same nature of the body. But the glory of the body will be different. So we need to realize, so everybody died in hope. So where there is, when something is not given in the word of God, your hope can be wrong hope and your faith itself is wrong because God promised it to you promised it to you okay so that's where so he has promised to them he says I've given you this land and I'm telling you every place a foot of your the sole of your foot treads I have given it to you so that is where it is coming the hope is coming because God is giving them something God is promising them something in verse 4 what we have read all these verses is how much is given? How much is given? Okay, so we need to realize, okay, as the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ, not an individual, whole body of Christ, God has given the body of Christ till the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. In the ends of this earth, each one has to know what is given. How much is given? What is given? How much is given? Okay. So this is where it is. This is where it is so important because where there is no hope, you cannot have faith. Have no, have no faith. 
in human terms also this is what happens okay let us say well, let us say marriage okay marriage is a covenant after the covenant part two people enter into the covenant with a lot of hope lot of hope but you need to realize much of the hope is for the woman because she hears what a husband tells her Husband tells her, okay, he tells her this, or this, or this, or this, or this, or because we are looking in God's order. We are not looking in the world's order. We are looking at God's order. The man is called to lead. The man is given the purpose, everything. So he tells her all these things are my plans. And hope is birthed in her. And the problem is when things do not happen, or she sees he's not doing anything what he was talking about, you know what? Her hope starts drying. So whether it is with God or whether it is man, yesterday we heard something over and over in the first one hour. This is the fact that our hope should never dry if God has spoken because God is faithful. So even when we are unfaithful, he is still faithful because he cannot deny ourselves. That is why we have this living hope that hope never dies. A living hope meaning that hope cannot die. Man given hope will die. It can die. But a God-given hope cannot die because of who has said it, who has promised. Get these fundamentals. So if you go to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Okay. His divine power has again, the word is written is there, given. Okay, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain or that are connected with life and godliness. We leave that word godliness apart and look at that one word life. So the simple question is what is life? So we have to ask ourselves the question what is life? Okay, go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Nor about your body. What you will put on is not life. Okay, is not life. More than food and the body more than clothing. You see, the average man, I don't even want to call it an average man, okay, but let us say a man. A man, we don't want to call them normal or average, just say man. A man... <laughs> Is either, okay, is either uh, driven by two or a combination of two. Either it is need-based or pleasure-based. Need-based is what will I eat today? What will I drink today? What will I wear today? Jesus is only talking about the three basics and there are so many others connected with three basics. But for a man who has so much of resources, then he will be thinking what all to eat today what to eat, what not to eat, because he can make many choices depending upon his resources. What all to drink? Or he is very conscious about his health. Okay, then he says, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i getting to really like uh, Raga. Okay, I mean, that Bharat Jodo Yatra has opened up ice in this country, comes across as a very... I mean, gentleman, okay, very gentleman, patient, doesn't get angry, 
he's got substance he's got substance i'm not like, i'm not saying he's a believer or anything like that but we are we are looking looking in humanity wise human wise we we are not looking for pastors and political leaders okay we are not and we should not look for political leaders in pastors either also <laughs> okay but we are looking at i mean for us in india we look and say so wow finally after so many years we have a we have a political leader who's very articulate and who seems to be thinking very deeply very deeply okay so there was this, there is this um, i think some food and this thing this thing there's an in curly yeah, a uh, interview with this thing okay it's a very nice interview about food and he makes it very clear about what he does and what he doesn't do what he eats and what he doesn't eat and i didn't know he's such a physically fit guy okay fit guy okay and uh, the thing is that what i'm saying is that so he also make i mean he has the resources he can eat whatever he wants but he makes his choices i eat this and i don't eat this i eat this and i don't eat this so but what i'm saying is the average human mentality is this what will i eat what will i drink what will i wear need based no pleasure based or purpose based you have all these things that is where but it comes down to these basics what to eat what to drink what to wear but christ comes and says is not life more than food and the body more than clothing he says so life is more than all these things so he brings this question so he has given us all things pertaining to life so the question comes what is life he says life is more than that you come to verse 31 hmm? 31 to 34 he says therefore do not worry saying what shall we worry what uh, what shall we eat what shall we drink or what shall we wear for after all these things the gentiles seek who are gentiles we were gentiles once who are gentiles gentiles were ones who were cut away from the commonwealth of israel who had no covenant with god who did not know god so gentiles are people primarily people who do not know the living god they may know other gods but they don't know the living absolute supreme god yahweh they do not know god therefore they do, since they do not know god they will never understand the meaning or the purpose of life purpose of life so we were gentiles and i remember those years when i was a gentile you know what we lived life we were happy but this is the happiness of ignorance there is a happiness which uh, ignorance brings which is nice okay children let's say like children should be very happy very happy so we say ignorance is bliss and there is a certain amount of bliss in ignorance which should be accepted children should be ignorant about evil many things it's a very nice thing let them enjoy life the more the knowledge of evil the more your bliss will go unless you love evil okay but even then after the evil is over it's like a hangover okay you like alcohol and then you have a headache okay so he says after all these things gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things okay so god says your father already knows these are things which you need for life but life is not these things 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So then he brings something over there. He says in verse 33, life is connected with something here. He brings two things there. He says, you want to understand the meaning of life. First, life is connected with the kingdom of God. Two, life is connected with his righteousness. This is two things, primary things with which everything pertaining to life is connected. Then he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the days, its own trouble. So when he's talking about not worrying, worrying, he's talking about don't worry about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, these things, material things, don't worry about those things. Okay, don't worry about these things because he says your mind should be occupied first, not only first, with these two things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says once your mind starts going in that direction, you will start understanding the meaning of life. Meaning of life. So the first question he says there is seek ye first the kingdom. So the simple question is what is the kingdom? What is it? He doesn't say seek a kingdom. He says seek the kingdom of God. Before we can seek the kingdom of God, we need to understand what a kingdom is. A kingdom is the domain of a king where his writ and his authority rules or runs. Okay? So he needs primarily two sets of enforcement. One is the army to guard the borders of his domain. And then he needs the police to enforce his authority within those borders. So we have, we see simply, even in a democracy, when I think in terms of a kingdom, we have a standing army, armed forces, let us say, our, to, this thing, do not cross the domain of India. And second, you have the police and all the other to enforce the authority. In human terms, in a kingdom, three things matter. Okay? First, always, should be. It is not necessarily that way. That's not how it practically happens in the fallen world. But first should be people. Otherwise, the kingdom has no meaning. Okay? First and foremost should be people. Two should be wealth. Wealth. So we will see India's territory extends to 12 or 20 nautical miles of our coast. But if you go there, there is nobody living there. But that is where wealth is. So if the Coast Guard's job is to see nobody crosses that area and fishes, and when you fish, even if it's the Indian fishermen, the Sri Lankan Navy arrest them because you crossed into our sovereign territory. So it is not just people, it is wealth. Wealth, okay? So there is people, there is wealth. Okay, So you will see there will be some places like Antarctica and all where there is no people at all. But nations will go and put their flag over there and say, we are claiming this because there is wealth. There is wealth. Okay, so we need to understand there is people, there is wealth. And third thing is that what is uh, important is security. Security. Like India, let us take, take in terms of our own country. Or you can even think about U.S., India has the world, which we call the world's uh, highest uh, war zone. It's called Siachen. 
highest altitude where there are 24-7, 12 months a year soldiers stationed. It's at minus 20, minus 33. So they are rotated 30 days, 30 days, 30 days. The simple question is, why are you there? You are not there because of wealth. You are there because of security. Security. Okay, so you will see America has this huge, massive budget for their armed forces. And their navy is more powerful than anything else. And they are floating all around the world. Why? To enforce the, what we call it, the interests of America, as they say. Their wealth, their people, their wealth, their security. So we need to realize... In a kingdom, okay, we need to understand when God says seek a kingdom, what are we seeking? What am I seeking? Seek the kingdom, okay? So, what is the kingdom of God? First thing we realize in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is his kingdom. Everything seen and unseen is actually part of his kingdom. Second thing is that how does he rule his kingdom? He rules his kingdom in righteousness. Holiness, godliness is something else. Righteousness is something else. Righteousness is how God rules. So in his kingdom, somewhere in the past, first Satan rebelled and he was cast out. Man sinned and he was cast out. Please understand very carefully the terms that I am using. Satan rebelled and he was cast out. Man sinned and he was cast out. Okay? Where were they cast out of? Out of God's domain. So God had to actually create a new domain for Satan. So the Bible says hell was created for him. Hell was created for him. I don't think hell was there in the original creation. Because the original creation, you, you need to realize, it's like when God created Adam and Eve and this thing and all, there were no prisons. Prisons are made only when there is a breakdown of law and order. If there is no breakdown of law and order, there is no need for a prison. But so, hell is a holding area, it's a prison. It's a prison. So you need to realize, Satan rebelled and he was cast out and God will understand one day in eternity, created another place to keep them. There was no salvation for the devil and the angels that fell with him, one third. But man who was cast out was not imprisoned. It's not imprisoned. There is salvation for man. So everything we see happening in the past 6,000 years it's got to do with the redemption of mankind. Redemption of mankind. But this redemption of mankind cannot be done apart and outside the righteousness of God. The redemption itself... See, there is no redemption for Satan. For the righteousness of God does not come to him in redemption. The righteousness of God comes to him only in judgment. 
does not come in redemption. So we have to look at how God deals with the devil and he deals with us differently. He deals with the devil in his righteousness. It is judgment. It is judgment. Already judged. Okay. He was already judged when he was cast out. He was only judged 2,000 years ago in terms of us. There are two judgments of the devil. One, he has already been judged. He will be cast into the lake of fire. And as a proof of us holding area, he has been cast out of heaven. But he was judged on the cross in terms of us. That is a different judgment. His power over us has been broken. Okay? And why is God doing all this the way he is doing? The way he is doing it has got to do with his righteousness. He's a righteous God. If you don't understand the righteousness of God, we will not understand, Lord, why is it taking so much time and why is it so laborious? So many things are happening. It's got to do with the righteousness of God. Why it's important? Because we are called to seek many things. But we are called to seek first two things, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. So, the redemption of man cannot happen either apart or outside the righteousness of God. So truth and mercy has to meet. And it meets at the cross. Okay? Because that is the only place where the righteousness of God is satisfied. So we come to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Okay, now please understand, the law itself reveals the righteousness of God. Otherwise the law does not have many, when God says do this and don't do this, do this, don't do this, what does it basically reveal? It reveals who he is. So the law reveals the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God. The God, Lord reveals the righteousness of God. And the more righteous the laws of a nation are, the more righteous is that nation, at least in their thinking. At least it's thinking. That's why if you look around the world, if actually if you look around the world, there are only two constitutions which are mainly studied. One is the constitution of America, because of the founding fathers. Second is the constitution of India, because of our founding fathers. You don't, you don't hear about the constitution of other countries in the world. You don't hear. Actually, if you go to university and study, these are the two constitutions which are always studied. It's because the nature of the founding fathers. U.S. had, uh, see, there are two words which we should be very careful. All nations have politicians, but all politicians are not statesmen. The founders of America were statesmen. And the founders of this nation were statesmen. Statesmen. Okay. Honestly, why are people tickled listening to Raga? It's because he's coming across more than a politician. He's coming across as a statesman. Okay, statesman. So the people who think, you know, what is happening with this nation, they are starting to listen and say, hey, we need to seem to have a statesman. Because nobody listened to him because there was this vitriol against him consistently. Consistently. Therefore, nobody listened. Now, what happened? A journey through India, and the, I mean, you can't be consistent for 3,000 miles. What is in you will come out finally, okay? But how can you be so consistent walking 25 miles every day? 
in summer and heat and rain and everything how you can. And you're consistent with people. Not the empathy is showing and your ideas are consistent. So what is happening is people are starting to think. Starting to think. And that's exactly what happened in US too when he came down the escalator from and what he actually voiced was nothing new. He had spoken all these things when he was a young man. He had spoken all these things. Then people started replaying and said, hey, what he's saying is what he always. So this was always in him about his country. Now both these people are not like Joshua. God first. God is speaking. Both these people are people who have a vision of what their country should be. Okay, So we need to understand these things matter because you know what? If people don't have a purpose, people don't have a purpose, a vision, you know, people will fall apart. Why do people, God's people fall apart? Why do God's people fall apart? Because they do not have a purpose. So here, there is something mentioned. There's a righteousness of God revealed by the law. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Both the law and the, the problem with the law. The word law, that's why I don't use the word law, law, law. The problem with the law, okay? Now, you need to realize, we have the Indian Penal Code, which is the law. But the problem is, that is the law of a state. And the state is not a person. State is not a person. And the problem is, we forget the law is for people. But the problem is in the nature of the law, the law can ultimately stand apart and the people can be forgotten. That's why Jesus said, Sabbath is for man. You need to understand. He said, Sabbath, man was not made for Sabbath. What is the law made for? Man. Man was never made for the law. And sometimes what happens is the state forgets. And that is what we are calling about a deep state. And even, even in India, you have a deep, everywhere you have this deep state. A set of people who exist only for themselves. They forget what was the whole problem. They become the law. They are lawless, but they become the law. And they only live to for themselves. So that's what God is saying. The purpose of the law was to reveal God. But the problem is after some time, the God is forgotten. God is forgotten. And you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees walking around enforcing the law. But the pocket is, what is the law about? It is about God and it is about man. They forgot God and they forgot man. So we have to be very careful when we use this term, law. So the whole purpose of the law was to reveal the righteousness of God. There is a person called God and his righteousness has to be revealed. That was the whole purpose. And now, because it did not happen, it could not happen and nobody could keep the law and the law was not given so that we could keep it, only it would restrain us. That was the only purpose so that until Christ is revealed. And now both the law and the prophets see. Otherwise you cannot bring the law and the prophets. You can only bring the law and the prophets together because both are pointing to a person. Because the law is a set of rules, prophet is a person. But both the set of rules and the prophets are pointing to a person called Jesus Christ. In Why Jesus Christ? Because in Jesus Christ, because he became man, we can understand God. That's the reason, Jesus Christ. 
if Jesus Christ hasn't come, because you will not find the name Jesus Christ in the Bible, in the Old Testament, only in the New Testament, we will not find Jesus Christ. If he had not come, we still would be trying to figure out what God is like. What God is like. So, now the righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God, how is it revealed? Through faith in Jesus Christ. In faith in Jesus Christ, basically meaning in the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the entire work of Jesus Christ, then and now. We think only about his work 2,000 years ago. We don't think about the work that he's doing in us now, only in that. Have faith in the work of Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Yes. Difference, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Going to verse 25, okay? Whom God set forth as a propitiation of his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now come to verse 26, it's an important one. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of one who has faith in Christ. He has to be just, that is truth. He has to be justifier, that's mercy. Okay, if he's only just, we will die. If he's only justifier, then there is no truth. So he's both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is what we need to understand, what God has been trying to do for the past 6,000 years. So the Bible says in Matthew 4.23 and Mark 16.15, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue. What was he teaching? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, So he was preaching something. What is he preaching? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That is what he's preaching. The gospel of the kingdom and healing all signs of sickness and all kinds of disease. So these things which he were doing was only a sign of the kingdom. You can receive a sign and reject the kingdom. But he was preaching the gospel. So the gospel or the good news is connected to what? Connected to the kingdom. It is connected to the kingdom. So if you take the kingdom out of the gospel, then we have changed the gospel. So the gospel was the gospel of the kingdom. And at the end, before he leaves, this is what he says in Matthew uh, 15, 15, not 17, 16, 15. Yeah, 16.15. He says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay? Every creature. The gospel has to be preached. So the simple question is, what happens when a man hears the gospel and he believes in Christ? He is plucked from the enemy's domain and added into God's domain. What happens is he now enters into God's domain or his kingdom. Okay, the one who was cast out has been brought in. And Matthew 11 and verse 12. 
11-12. From the days of John the Baptist until... Why the John the Baptist? Because he is the first one to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Nobody in the old covenant preached that. The first one to preach the gospel of the kingdom was John the Baptist. From that time, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So he uses a word over there called violence, meaning the kingdom of God advances with violence. Violence is basically what happens in a war. But this violence is spiritual and physical. One, the church of God or the preacher exerts what we call spiritual violence. Preaching itself is spiritual violence. Then there is fasting, prayer, all kinds. It's spiritual violence. But what happens is that only the violent can take it. Only the violent cannot take it. Two, there is an appropriate reaction from the enemy's kingdom. How does he, how does he react? He reacts with physical violence. By using men and women whom he has taken captive to do his will. So we exert physical violence, sorry, spiritual violence, we should expect physical violence. Different kinds of physical violence, laws being changed, all the state itself becomes an instrument of violence everywhere. State itself becomes part of it. So you will see this is what happens. Why is it all happening? Because it's a real war. It's a war where you are taking, see, when you take a man out of the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and bring him into the kingdom of light, with him you have brought everything else that was his. You brought the person, or enemy lost a person, to all that he is going to become, all his wealth, everything comes to this side. So you need to realize this is a constant battle that is taking place. Constant battle that taking place. But... Please remember, we need to understand, because when we are reading the book of Joshua, there it is a physical battle. So we should not read it that way. Ephesians 6.12 We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but actually we wrestle for flesh and blood. But against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So that is the kingdom of God's violence. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. Okay, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, but we war. But the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, meaning they are not physical. They are not, though terms will be used, which is physical, okay, but they are not physical. The sword, but of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. They are not sword. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Because you're going to see warfare in the book of Joshua. After the preparation, war is going to take place. War is going to take place. But God makes it very clear. Don't go by that. Understand what it means. You're fighting powers of darkness. It is a real war. 24-7. It's a war. Because the enemy is like Citibank. It never sleeps. Okay? So the war never stops. So God needs to have 24-7 his soldiers on the war front, different sides of the globe, night and day, but there are people constantly at this warfare. The gospel has to go out. You 
cannot. The enemy is trying to suppress the gospel because in the gospel is the power of God. He does not want to lose people. The only way he can lose people is if a man or a woman or a child hears the gospel. He knows he, there is a problem. So he will try to suppress the gospel. The preaching of the gospel primary. The giving away of the gospel in whatever format he will try. He will try. Because he also knows, he because he's read scripture, he also knows once the gospel has reached the ends of the world, the end will come. Whose end will come? His end will come. His end will come. So he knows that. So the only way he can delay the coming of the Christ is by suppressing the gospel. Okay, so we need to understand this. So there is. So there is a battle. There are weapons. And what is the purpose of it all? Extending the kingdom of God. How do you extend the kingdom of God? I still remember, I told you, no? Long ago, the prime minister who said a kingdom is not a map drawn on a piece of paper. It lives in the hearts of the people. Hmm? India basically is a land, but it's a people. We, the people of India, that's how our constitution begins. We, the people of India. Okay. So every time a person is lost, the kingdom of God is extending, advancing. And what happens into that kingdom or that person, what comes in is the reign of God's righteousness. God's righteousness. So God says you have to seek two things. My kingdom and my righteousness. Okay, And the kingdom of God is advancing. It is not advancing, we cannot see it advancing physically. But it is advancing constantly all around the globe in every nation. And what is being established in each person is the righteousness of God. Of God. This is the entire purpose of life. What is life? I've given you everything pertaining to life. So the first question you need to ask is, what is life? So if I understand what is life, this is my life, then God says, you understand life, you understand the meaning of life, you pursue this life, everything you need to pursue this life will be added to you. Will be added to you. You understand, I am a part of God's kingdom for the extension of his kingdom and the extension of his or enforcing of his righteousness. He says, whatever part you have to play in this, Everything that you need, I will add. Everything that you will need, add. So if you don't understand, understand life, understand life, we will not understand the rest of the things. Given you everything for life. So the simple question should be, what is life? He said there are two kinds of life. One is the life the Gentiles love. This other kind of life the children of God love. But the children of God can live life like Gentiles. So if only in this life you have hope in Christ, you are the most pitiable of men. Because you receive the salvation of God, you are living just like the Gentiles. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear, what to achieve, 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 achieve in this world. You are just a Gentile with the righteousness of God, imputed by faith. So there is this word which is so important. The word is purpose. Because whatever is given is connected to the purpose. Once purpose is lost, purpose is lost, very quickly a person will fall apart. Will fall apart. 
purpose is lost. You will realize, once purpose was lost, the third generation fell apart. First generation fell apart because they refused the purpose. Second generation achieved the purpose. Third generation onwards started falling apart because they lost the purpose. So purpose is very important. We need to... So in the New Covenant, when we read the book of Joshua, we need to understand purpose because we don't have any... Because if we have not been given anything outside Christ, we don't have a purpose outside Christ. Get this under. If I have not been given anything outside Christ, then I cannot have a purpose outside Christ because everything is given, is connected with purpose. So turn to... 1 John chapter 3, 7 and 8. This is about Jesus. Okay, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came with a purpose. One, what a, he had two fold purpose. One, destroy the works of the devil to establish the righteousness of his father. Twofold purpose. Destroy the works of the devil. Works of the devil. To establish the righteousness of God. Got it? Two. So if that is his purpose, then in him that's my purpose. In him that's my purpose. Destroy the works of the devil. And establish the righteousness of God that comes by faith. So all of us in whatever format of whatever job we have on earth, we have a twofold purpose because my body cannot have a purpose other than what my head has. My head defines the purpose of my body because the brains are sitting here. It defines the purpose of the body. So if this was the purpose of Christ, this is our purpose. What is destroy the works of the devil and establish the righteousness of God twofold. Okay. And if you look at Jesus Christ, he would never be dissuaded from that purpose. Whenever there was a conflict between the purpose of God in his life and another voice, whether it is his mother or whether it is the foremost disciple Peter, anybody, you could not turn him from his purpose. Because you knew this was my purpose. So if you come to Hebrews 10 and verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do your will, O God. So when you are talking about here, the word will, it also means purpose. I have come to do your purpose. Okay? I have come to do your purpose. The first one, actually, to the public world, to identify to the whole world is John because his primary purpose was to reveal Jesus in John 1 and verse 29. John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The minute... No, that's his way. Here, this is the minute you have the word, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then everything starts falling into place. Falling into place. Because everything is related to that. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. So finally we realize every promise and prophecy is related to that. That's why the virgin birth. That's why the holiness, the purity, the right, everything is connected to the purpose. His entire person and purpose is revealed in this one. Who is he? He's the lamb of God. He's not the lion of God. He's not the tiger of God. He's not even the sheep of God. He's the lamb of God. Because the lamb, the Passover lamb, conditions had to be met before it could be. So he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So everything is connected with that because this is important. This is very, very important because you know what? If you don't understand, understand purpose, we will miss out the meaning of life. So Israel had a twofold purpose in Exodus 19. Verse 5 and 6, God had told them. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. He says, be very careful. Not only you, all over the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So they had Purpose was what was the purpose? They would be what would they would be what the physical evidence of the kingdom of God on earth, and in them God would establish His righteousness, and that would become the light for the Gentiles. That was their purpose. If you were so, if you look at the laws that were given and how they were supposed to work, how they were supposed to live, it was a completely different thing from the rest of the world rest of the world. And that is why Sabbath was a covenant he made with Israel and not with us. The physical Sabbath, the seventh day. Because that itself was a radical departure from the rest of the world. So he said, this is your purpose. You will be what we will say God's kingdom on earth. You shall be for me a kingdom. You are my kingdom on earth. A priest you are a kingdom of priests. What kind of a kingdom is that? Even if you are a soldier, you are a priest. Even if you are a plumber, you are a priest. Because you know what? You are serving me. And you are a holy nation. Because your king, your God is holy. So they are given a purpose. The purpose is one, they are a reflection of God's kingdom on earth. And two, their purpose is to declare or reveal the righteousness of God to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would see. If they had lived under that covenant, the Gentiles would have seen the righteousness of God. These are a different kind of people. These are a different kind of a people. Okay. So Joshua's commission was this. Drive out the people of this land who represent powers of darkness, who have been given over to darkness. have given them time, 500 years, still the same. They will become even more wicked and resistant. Drive them out. Destroy them. Don't make any covenant with them. Get them out. And that land would be replaced or repopulated with the people of God. The people of God. This was the purpose. You need to realize this is where they went wrong. First time when they went wrong is that they tried to imitate, one man tried to imitate the people of the land by taking a bar of gold and a Babylonian garment. He was trying to imitate. So God said, remove that curse from among you. 
remove it completely. Second, with thought inquiring of the Lord, they made a covenant with the people of the land, one group of the land, in the name of the Lord. That was a problem. It's not that they made a covenant. They made a covenant in the name of the Lord. And when the minute you invoke the name of the Lord, the righteousness of God is connected. Now you cannot break it. Even if your covenant was wrong, you cannot break it because you use the name of the Lord. He says, my righteousness is at stake. So now, go by it. Go by it. So you need to realize these things are there. The kingdom of God and the righteousness of God is actually playing throughout scripture. But we see it manifesting when John comes and preaches. Here is the kingdom of God. So we need to realize this is the, this is, this is what we, see if you don't understand purpose, if you don't understand purpose and how God does his purpose, what is the whole purpose? Okay? Purpose. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So who defined Christ's purpose? It was defined by his father. Purpose was defined by his father. That is what it means. The head of Christ is God. Even though he was equal to the father, Philippians will say, yet he is surrendering to the will of the father or the purpose of the father. Even if the Trinity has sat together and decided and decided, it is known as the will of the father. There is no discord, but it is called the will of the father. It's called the will of God. Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come to do your will. He doesn't say our will. Though it is our will, it is your will. Though it is our will, it is your will. Okay? That's why it's, this is what headship means. This is what, so the head of Christ is God. So Christ's purpose is being defined by God. This is important because if you do not understand these fundamentals, you need to realize is that we will get confused. We'll get confused. So the purpose of man is defined by Christ. Purpose of man is defined by... It is not defined by man. The purpose of man has to be defined by Christ. The purpose of woman has to be defined by man. You don't get this. The whole messy in the world, starting from LGBTQ to all the way to Z, is got to do with this confusion. This confusion, this, this, this is how the enemy causes confusion. Everything. Because, note this in the Bible. Please understand this very carefully in the Bible. God has never directly spoken to a woman in scripture unless it was about a man. When he talked about the woman, it was about her seed. It should be a man. When he talked to Hagar, it was about Ishmael. When he talked to Sarah, it was about Isaac. When he talked to Rebekah, it was about Jacob. When he talked to, through Deborah, it was about Barak. When he talked to Manoah's wife, it was about Samson. When you talk to Mary, it was about Jesus. 
He always talked to a man. And if he talked to a woman, it was about a man. Because God will never subvert his own order. Because his righteousness is connected with that. The problem is, we have to understand this. If we don't understand this, we will still continue in the confusion that is in the world. We'll get into the church. Get into the church. Because the confusion in the, in the world, what the devil, that's why the, the, that's why the, the enemy doesn't come to man. He goes to the woman. To whom purpose has not been given. It is not wrong for the woman to hear what the enemy had said. That's not where the problem comes. The problem is that she answers him. She should have asked her husband, what do you say? So even though she fails and he fails, God still comes to the man and asks. He doesn't ask the woman. Doesn't ask them. So, the purpose is given to Joshua. The purpose is to possess the land. In the new covenant, our possession is the life of Christ. And in Genesis 1 and verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the simple question is, how would Christ live through a man? How would Christ live through a woman? That's my position. My position is Christ. I have come to give you life and life in abundance. Christ has come to give me life and Christ himself is life. The simple question is, how would Christ, if you were to live, how would Christ live through a man? How would Christ live through a woman? This is where faith comes. Because your hope is wrong. Your faith is wrong. Your hope is wrong. Your faith is wrong. Your entire edifice is built on a wrong assumption. It's just a question of time. It will fall apart. That's why it says if the foundations are destroyed, who will? Who is mentioned? Righteous, not the others. The unrighteous, they are not bothered. Because their life is built on unrighteous foundations. The foundations matter. And the foundations are right there. God made them male and female in his image. So the simple thing is that what I am receiving is Christ. How would Christ look through me? I am a male. First be very sure about your gender. I am a male. How would Christ work in me as a man? How would Christ Work in me as a woman. So faith comes from hearing. And we said yesterday before Pastor Vijay preached, I said the most important part of hearing, most many important, all are important, but the first part of hearing is not hearing, is location. But the first thing God asks Adam is, where are you? Location. Now, we know, now we don't have to put the scripture up there, in Genesis 2.17, God says, all the trees you can eat. This one tree, don't eat. If you eat, you will surely die. So the simple question is, where was the woman 
when Satan was speaking. She said the wrong location. Wrong location. She was at the wrong location because she says she took some of it so, uh, and gave it to, ate and gave it to man. So she was there. Now, we can only assume with certain amount of certainty or they could have been on a walk and slowly the enemy brought her to this tree. But easier to assume she was somewhere near this tree. So you, you are at the wrong location. Because if you are at the wrong location, first is location. If you are at the wrong location, the problem is you will start hearing the wrong voices. Wrong voices. That is why the Bible keeps on telling, you know, gather together. Do not stop gathering. So, yes, we can. If you have no control over the situation, you are in a different place, you can listen online. But you should be listening in the church. Come prepared because that's the location. The problem is, <coughs> now there are people who are sitting, uh, listening online. Now, this is not a Sunday service, but let us say it's a Sunday service, sitting online. When you're sitting online and listening, you can attend to any distraction. Exactly. Phone calls and you will, okay, and you will. So you know what? Location matters. Location matters. You do all kind of things. Location matters because of who is speaking. One, who is speaking? God is speaking. Second, what is he speaking? He says, my words are life. What is he speaking? Whenever God speaks, it's always life. It's only when we reject it, it becomes death. He always speaks life. Okay? So, so the first thing is location. The first thing is location. That's why location is so important. Absolutely important. If your location is right, the word of God will come to you. So the first thing, location has to be right. So if God says be in Kerith, the word of God will find you there. If God sends you to be in Zarephath, the word of God will find you there. So the location is important. If you are in the wilderness while everybody is in the cities and some are in the temple worshipping, the word of God will come to the wilderness and find you because you are in the right location. So location matters. Please understand that. For hearing, location matters. Where are you? The first question. Where are you? So there is faith in the location you received, you heard. And the question is, what does faith do? If you go to Romans 1.17 and reiterate it, we read the earlier verse, okay? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Simple thing is that what the word of God does first is when you believe, you repent, you turn, you believe, is you are justified. You are by faith, you are justified. And now once you are justified, you are called to live by faith, faith unto faith. But the question is this. The simple question to ask is this. In faith, because it's a lifestyle in what you're doing. Is the righteousness of God established? Simple thing. Three kinds of righteousness. The righteousness of God, apart from the law. 
is the righteousness of law, the righteousness of self, of man. The righteousness of God is the only righteousness that is accepted. It comes by faith. The righteousness of law cursed is everyone who is under the law. The righteousness of man is like filthy rags before me. So the simple question to ask is, whose righteousness am I establishing? Am I establishing the righteousness of God? Am I establishing the righteousness of the law? Or am I establish, establishing my own righteousness? A simple question. That is the importance of faith. Even as love is the most important of the greatest, love is not the most important. The most important is faith because you cannot be saved by love. You are saved by faith. But you can do all these things by faith, still be saved and lose your rewards because love was in there. But you are not saved by love. You are saved by the love of God, but you are saved by faith. So when it comes to importance, please understand, the most important is faith. But the greatest is love. Because you are not saved by love. You can love God as much as you want and not believe Him and not be saved. But you can believe Him and not really love Him and still be saved. For salvation, the most important part is, have you believed in what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ? Okay, so don't misunderstand Corinthians 1 to 3 and says, oh, faith is not you. God says, you know what? God says, foundation is on faith. Your works will come through the fire. He himself will be scarcely saved because you believed. But everything else was not mixed with faith or not done in love. So faith, please understand the importance of faith. Because what faith does is, it establishes, one, the righteousness of God. Two, it establishes the authority and the power of God. Either of it. Authority, power of God, or righteousness of God. So when the sick came and touched, it established the power and the authority of the kingdom and God is glorified. God is glorified. Because that's a declaration. God is mighty. A declaration. Not these people were righteous. They were righteous. So what faith does is that it establishes the righteousness of God. Or it establishes the authority and the power of God in a particular situation. But what God wants us to do is not live by two alone, but one and two. One and two. Live by the authority and the power of my kingdom and let my righteousness be established. Be established. Because somebody can believe in the power of God without living in the righteousness of God. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. Primary source now, primary source now is the written scriptures. The purpose of written scriptures is to generate faith in what God is saying. See, there is truth in God's word. But the truth in God's word is meaningless if you don't have the faith. To believe that is what God says and I need the grace to obey it. Truth in itself, without faith, is pointless. Because all the truths was always there. 
always there. Many of the truths which Jesus preached is there in other religions too. But neither have they the faith because faith gives you access to the power to obey it. And faith also is trust and belief in a person. In a person. Okay. So religions are talking about a God they do not know. So how can you have a faith in that person? And it doesn't give you the power to obey. So faith gives you access about a person, knowledge about a person, and not only that person, and also the power of that person. But the primary source is scripture. If you go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, It shall come to pass in the last day, says the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dream, dreams. Three things are there. Prophecy, visions, dreams. Let me go to verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Why do you have these three? Why should you believe in these three? Because it is written. If you don't have 16, you don't have 17. Okay, so you need to realize whether it is a prophecy or a dream or a vision, does it agree with the principles of God's word? Yes, yes, yes. Scripture. Can it be ratified by scripture? Ratified by scripture. This is the issue. If scripture doesn't ratify it, then the faith that you have come from a prophecy or a vision or a dream or say God has spoken, whatever it is, your hope is false, your faith is false. Just give it time. All you have to do is give it time. It will fall apart. It will fall apart. So the simple question is, first thing we need to ask ourselves, like Joshua. Joshua could hear from God because Joshua was at the right place. So, Genesis 3 and verse 9. Where am I? the first question. Where am I? Where am I? 311. 311. Who told me? Who told me? 313. What am I doing? What am I doing? Simple three questions. First question to ask is, where am I? Where am I? That's where it all begins. Where am I? Where am I? A man should know where he is. And where he is, is connected with who told him. Who told him. So the simple question a man is to ask is, if you are at the office, that's where you should be. Who told you? Because I'm working. But why are you working? Because God told man to work. God told man to work. He's ordained man to work. But who are you working for? Or who are you working with? The simple question is, who are you working with? And the man should be able to say, I, was work, I am working with God. The space does not matter. The space does not matter. Are you working with God or without God? It's a simple question. Because Joseph worked with God and God worked with him. Are you working alone or are you working with God? 
So God had put Adam to work in a place. And when God comes in the evening, Adam is not there. Adam is not there. And God asks him the question, where are you? Where are you? And he tells a lot of things and he says, but who told you all these things? Who told you all these things? Now we are not talking about in the body of Christ or in a in an institution, anything that everybody personally hears. No. Everybody is usually put under. Under. It's put under. There are cases in the Bible like Abraham to whom God speaks. And after that Abraham speaks to Isaac. Isaac speaks to Jacob. Jacob speaks to his children. But God speaks to Abraham. That's how it how it happens. So you will see in in history, in the biblical history, old covenant history, in certain seasons when the voice of God has ceased because there is nobody to hear. That's why the voice of God, because people have all reverted to the righteousness that comes from the law or the disregard law. God has to find a person to start all over again. So it can be a Moses. Can can be a Moses. It can be an Elijah, can be a Samuel. Okay, so when God is usually starting a new movement, a new thing in a generation, He speaks to a person because through Him He's starting something. But even that person had to be subject; otherwise, He cannot speak to that person. So Abraham had to first obey Terah before God can speak to Abraham. Or a Noah. So if Noah had to be blameless, he had to be under something to be blameless. He had to subject himself to certain principle to be blameless. So the simple question is, where did you hear these principles from? Who told you these things? So all these people whom God in isolation called out and used also were subject to certain things. Okay. So the rest of the people should be able to know. If you go to a government office, you are a believer in a government office, you need to know who are you listening to. It is not that Joseph prospered. What did Joseph prosper in is the question. In what Potiphar put him charge? Okay, Potiphar is a Gentile guy, but he put him in charge over certain things, and because this man has understood the principle of being subject, God prospered him in that. And when he, what he did prospered, what is being happening over there, even under a Gentile dispensation, is the righteousness of God is being established. Okay, so these questions men have to ask first. First, it always goes to the man. If God comes and asks a question first to man, the man should be able to answer the question, "Who? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Okay, where are you? Because often what what happens to even chosen men is that they are victims of their circumstances. Let us look at the first man, Jacob. He's Israel. He will become Israel. But the question is, what are you doing in Haran? Father said, mother said, but you never asked, should I go? And finally, 20 years later, God has to come and say, arise. Arise and go. Arise and go. Now you would say, but that's where he met Rachel and he met Leah and all the simple thing is, but that's where from Rebecca came. You never asked God. 
God never told you. So the second time over when he's leaving the promised land. And now he has got every reason to leave. Because Joseph is alive. Joseph is king. And he has sent cards full of stuff. He stops at Beersheba. And he seeks the face of God. Should I go or should I not go? This is the, in his old age he understands. If I go, it has to be part of purpose. Your purpose. Otherwise I'm not going. I love my son. He can come and see me. I will lie, die here when I'm not going. God says go. I'm sending you. These are things which we need to understand. See, the honest is never on the woman. The honest is always on the man. And man has to always hear from God. Always hear from God. If man does not hear from God, he need to ask, why am I not hearing? Am I at the wrong place? Am I at the wrong place? There are only two reasons why a man should not hear. One, he is in the wrong place. Two, He's in the right place and he's doing what God has to told to him. Next time God comes around, there will be a change in direction. Till then, I have to, don't have to tell you anything new. It's like a GPS. Right? For many weeks and months, Elijah is in Zarephath. God is not telling him anything. Cherith. God doesn't have to tell him anything. Lord, what? Sitting there, provision comes. Sits there, provision comes. One day God says, arise and go to Zarephath. And he's there in Zarephath. Let's say six, three, three years. What is it? One day God says, arise and go meet Ahab. So there are only two reasons a man does not hear. Either he's in the wrong place and he's not interested, or he's in the right place and change of direction hasn't come. Change of direction hasn't come. Change of direction hasn't come. Okay. Fundamentals here arise. So God is coming and telling Joshua, arise. 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 You and the people cross over. I'm giving to you as your possession. This is your purpose. Giving it to you as your purpose. And this is a purpose forever. This is your promised land. Everyone will have a plot in that land. Okay, if you look at the nature of it, don't look at the hills and the valleys and all that. This is not like Egypt where you have to work with your feet. This will be watered from heaven. So, it doesn't matter what is the nature of the land. The blessings upon the land will be the same. So, it did not matter what tribe you are from. Everyone is going to share the life of Christ. Everyone is going to share. This is your purpose. This is your purpose. Boundaries marked. This is your purpose. Cross over and take the land. Possess the land. So the first nine verses is God speaking to Joshua. Then Joshua comes and speaks to the people. Speak to the people. 10 and 11. Now Joshua is speaking to the people. He's speaking to the people. He speaks to the people. And he says, what do you need to do? Prepare. Get ready to pass over or cross and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. Okay. 
And now he is speaking to the people. And this is the way it should be in a home, in a church. This is the way it should be. The man hears from God. The man tells his family, this is what God is saying. But for that man to hear, he has to be in the right place. He has to. Because like I said, God is not asking us to live by the principle of what is right and wrong. Which is okay. It's a good principle. It's not a bad principle. At certain times, when you do not hear, the only principle left is what is right and what is wrong. You have these three things. The first principle is the weight of faith. My just shall live by faith. Underneath faith comes the law. Under this law comes the knowledge of good and evil. So you are in a situation and you don't, you are not hearing from God. You will see, okay, there is a righteousness of God that is revealed by the law. What does the law say? The law is also silent. Then go further down. There is a righteousness of God that is revealed by the tree of life and death. What is the good and what is good in this? But this is not the primary means of living. The primary means of living is by faith. My just. Because if you are justified by faith in my son, all those who are justified, there is no other way of life. There is only one way of life. That is why I said, truth is there in the word of God. That is not the issue. Will you apply faith to it? Truth is there. Everything in return is true. But the question is, will you apply faith? Will you apply faith? Faith makes it very personal. What did God say? Faith's first question is, what did God say? Faith's question is, where am I? Okay, Where am I? What did God say? What did I do? And then when you are angry, the fourth question is, why are you angry? So personally, why am I angry? Because Jesus was angry. Why am I? Why was he angry? Because what they were doing was not bringing forth the righteousness of God. It was bringing their righteousness, their own righteousness. That's why he was angry. So God is not saying don't be angry. God says be angry but do not sin. Because the wrath of man does not bring the righteousness of God. But the, if the anger of God, man brings the righteousness of God, the anger is right. So he looked at the whole thing with anger. Anger. Because they are debating Sabbath. Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath? He was looking at them angry. He says, you know what? You are perverting the righteousness of my father. Perverting the righteousness of the father. Okay? the father. Because this is a symbol people find it very difficult to understand. Because I always tell, you know, maybe people will say you know, um, pastor uh, somebody is very sick in the house. So what should I do? I said, stay home. Why? I said, what did Jesus say? There was a man who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was beaten up and he was lying dying on the road. You know, the priest came he looked and he walked away. Where is he going? To the temple. What is the temple for? For man. Where is the man? Die. And what are you doing in the temple? What are you doing in the temple? The Levite looks and he turns. The Samaritan comes. We have to understand the principle of Sabbath. 
Yes, we have to gather in the house of God. Yes, Sunday is a very important day. But somebody is in desperate need. What will you do? You will do what Christ did. He healed on Sabbath. Healed on Sabbath. See, this is the simple things which people need to understand. These are simple things which people need to understand. What would Christ do is a simple question. What, Not what the law demands. We are no longer under the law. What would Christ, like a mother is sitting here, it's a Sunday, and the child is running a very high fever. Okay, faith did not work or whatever. The child is high fever. What should the mother do? Stay at home. Take care of your child. Because that's where you're supposed to be. That would be right. That's what Christ would do. Thank God we have all. You see, if you bring Christ into the picture and go through scripture to see what Christ is doing in every situation, the answer is very right, easy. The problem is we are not looking for Christ. We are looking for the law. But the problem is if you are going by the law, there is a righteousness of the law. The problem is you go wrong in one area, you go wrong in everything. And if it is a righteous, your own righteousness, you will have to struggle. You will have to struggle. So there is provision. The provision is intimately connected to one thing. Seek ye first my kingdom and his righteousness, God's righteousness. He says seek that. And that's what he's telling Joshua. See, positionally speaking, the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They were still in a place where God was where God, not that he ideally wanted them there, he wanted them in the promised land. But it is better to be in the wilderness than in <coughs> Egypt. In Egypt, okay? In Egypt. So because they were positionally in the right place, they got what we call, they lived on food stamps. They lived on food stamps. In US you have a term called, India we call ration card, pink card, right? The card is pink, right? Pink card, two rupee rice. Okay, this, you live on that. Why? Positionally you are a citizen. Positionally you are a citizen. So we are forced to take care of him. Forced to take care of him. A lot of people live like that in the kingdom. You got out, you didn't get in, but because you got out, I have to take care of you, so eat the same thing every day, wear the same thing every day. But that's not how we are called to live. That's not how we are called to live. God says, go and possess a life that I have for you. Possess a life I have for you. You will have to fight for it. You should be able to, willing to fight for it. Okay? Because yesterday we heard a message, okay? Pastor Vijay gave us seven things about, basically about attitude. Because we have a problem with attitude. Hmm? Seven things. But always be careful, even if your pastor is listening, never restrict anything to seven. <laughs> it's a nice number, it's a good number, but some things God says ten times, twelve times, more times. These are all God's, all numbers are His. Hundred is also His. <laughs> okay? So, seven is a good number. Okay? But don't restrict that seven. The thing is that, if you go to First Peter, Chapter, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. 
also to this very reason giving all diligence at your faith you now what was Esther's entire message it was on worship people don't understand messages and say oh it's why this is so why do we have to hear about one small thing so long it's the reason is that your faith you need to add virtue but you cannot add virtue if you don't have faith the person who doesn't have faith, who doesn't believe in faith, who doesn't believe he's justified by faith, who's not living by faith, who's not walking by faith, is not interested in virtue. Not interested in virtue. This is the fundamental issue. The issue is that we have to start with faith, continue with faith, and all the way with faith. And through the eyes of faith, only we will be able to understand what are the things that are important to the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is not just a domain, it is connected intimately with a person. The kingdom of God. And in verse 3 it says, he called us how? In his virtue. Called us in his virtue. So virtue is very important. Attitude is very important. Why is attitude so important? Why are these seven aspects of the attitude so important? Because it is the attitude of God. Who called us by glory and virtue. This is the attitude of God, attitude of Christ. But if you don't have faith, then we will not be interested in the rest of the things. So every day when we wake up, where do we go first? We go for faith. Because it is written, my just shall live by faith. So the first thing when I wake up in the morning, what I need is not coffee. <laughs> I need faith. I need coffee. Why do I need coffee? Because only those who are awake can hear. Those who are sleeping cannot hear. So I need coffee to stay awake so that I can hear. Okay. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Sammy. I also drink, I also drink a, one cup of coffee is my entire day. I need one cup of coffee. Okay. So when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we need is faith. But the simple question about faith is, where am I? Where am I? The simple question is, the first thing is, where am I? Okay, in that question, please understand there are many subsections. First, am I in the right place? Second, am I in the right order? Wow. <laughs> am I in the right order? Am I in the right place? Am I in the right order? Because if I am not in the right order, you know what? I still will not hear. Maybe in the right place. I praise. That's why God says to cover ourselves with humility, with submission and all. You could be right in the right place and not covered at all with submission. God says, I cannot speak to you. You are receiving everything that is being spoken by you with your mind. But faith comes from the heart. I will not touch your heart whereby faith will come which will deliver you because you are in the right place in the wrong order. Bible never says faith comes from the mind. You can receive with the mind, you can appreciate with the mind, you can grow in the knowledge in the mind and pass exams also with the mind, but faith comes in the heart. A man believes in his heart. So, 
All these things are important. All these things are important. That is how to be in the right place. I'm in the right place. So on the cross, Jesus is absolutely in the right place. Is there. Where are you? In the right place. How are you? The right order. I've come to do my Father's will. I'm in the right order. I'm in the right place. I'm in the right order. Who told you? My Father told me. What are you doing? Exactly what you told me to do. Why are you angry? I'm not angry with them at all. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I'm angry at the devil. And I want to finish him off. Where is your brother? He says, look around. I am my brother's keeper. Every question that is asked in the Bible of God, you will realize he has an answer. And his answer is true. Because these are questions of God. And you will ask, Hagar, where are you coming from? Where are you going? And if you were to ask Jesus on the cross, he will say, I know where I am coming from and I know where I am going. If you were to ask him what God asked Sarah, why are you laughing? He will say, because it is finished. (laughs) I can sit in the heavens and laugh. If you were to ask him, what is your name? He will say, my name is Israel, prince with God and prince with man. I have prevailed. As God, I have prevailed. As man, I have prevailed. I am the true Israel. You ask any question there, you will see. He is the answer. He is the answer. Okay. So, look for Christ. Okay, look for Christ. Now we will pray. My wife is in there, but I will pray. Okay, because you need to realize, as important as prayer is, it's not prayer that is important. It is the faith in prayer that is important. If you do not bring faith into your prayer, God will not hear. Prayer of faith. If any man asks, he must believe. It's not that people don't pray. People all pray. People all pray. But the question is, can you bring faith there? Can you bring faith there? If you bring faith in there, the prayer changes. Then after some time, you will see in the book of Joshua, there is, like I said, book of Joshua, the only time he prays is when he loses. He says, why did you bring here? He says, shut up and get up. Have you, have, honestly, he tells me, shut up and get up. Literally, in modern English, he will say, shut up and get up and remove this abomination. Okay? But in the book of Joshua, you don't see prayer. It isn't prayer. Okay, you don't see prayer. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray, but because he is now absolutely walking by faith. What you hear, his prayers are proclamations. Sun stop there, moon stop there. And just never before, never have to ask God, listen to a man. Listen to him. Listen to man. Now, if you look at Moses and you look at all the miracles that Moses did, then you look at Joshua and you look at Jesus says, you know what, you're marvel? I'm telling you, greater things than these you shall do. You shall do. 
Okay, this is where faith comes in. Whatever you do, faith has to be brought in. If you don't bring faith in, it's as simple as that. You and I cannot please God. Cannot please God. One necessary ingredient like salt. Unless you have high BP, like salt. (laughs) What should be brought in is faith. And when you bring faith into the kingdom of God, okay. (laughs) Okay. That's why he said we are the salt of the earth. How do we become the salt of the earth? Because we bring faith. And through faith we appropriate the life of Christ. And in the life of Christ is the light of men. Okay, light of men. So this morning we shall pray. Let's have Peter. Then we shall pray. Because this is Sunday evening service for US. And all my dear brethren, whether they are in the the night or day, I know are listening. (laughs) You did not wait for me to draw nigh to you. But you clothe yourself in frail humanity You did not wait for me To cry out to you But you let me hear your voice calling me You did not wait for me To draw an eye to you but you clothe yourself in frail humanity Oh Lord, you did not wait for me To cry out to you But you let me hear your voice calling me I'm forever grateful to you I'm forever grateful I'm forever grateful to you, Lord, that you came to seek and save the lost Lord. I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Stand in your house, in your presence. Lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we once again declare, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.